0: This episode of The Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider. SR3 Rescue Concepts, because you don't know what you don't know. And Life Saving Systems Corporation, we do our work so you can do yours. Tough gear for tough jobs. Breeze Eastern, They dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at Breeze-Eastern.com. SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help with your helicopter training, a standardization and safety check, or maybe just an audit or an FAA refresher. They are here to bring your agency up to date with the most current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. The training staff is awesome! With the Certified Flight Instructor Pilots, Experienced Crew Members, which I am happy to say that I am one of them, they offer training in rescue, medical, tactical, firefighting, ground operations, and night vision goggle use. SR3 is also partnered with Petzl to assist with personal protective equipment and the highly specific Lazard. SR3 also goes beyond the helicopter world as they provide high angle rescue training and tactical medicine training. Contact them today at sr3rescueconcepts.com or over on Instagram at sr3 underscore rescue and Life Saving Systems Corporation. They manufacture the world's toughest helicopter rescue gear. From my favorite harness as a rescue man, the Triton harness, to the rescue baskets, the litters, and of course the most popular hook in all helicopters. The D-Lock. The team at LSC will cut, bend, sew, weld, and machine these products into existence every day. We do our work so you can do yours. LSC. Tough gear for tough jobs. Check them out today at lifesavingsystems.com and follow them on Instagram at Rescue Gear. That's at R-E-S-Q-G-E-A-R. I love having the opportunity to talk to other services, other branches in the military, other people in general about rescue because it's we all do the same job and everybody is in this together. We're out there to save lives. It's amazing. So our next guests are coming to us from Naval Air Station out of Lemoore, California, and the story they bring to us is incredible. It's up at ten thousand four hundred feet on Laurel Mountain. People with head injuries, it, the story is amazing. So, I hope you guys enjoy this as much as I do. Please welcome some of our boys from the Navy Lieutenant Josh Tassone, ASW 1 Milo Perez, and HM 2 Qvon Fazen. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Real Rescue Podcast. Today, man, I got three guys with me that, oh, this is going to be legit. They, uh, they're doing search and rescue out of the Naval Air station right? Naval Air Station in Lemoore, California. And these guys have got a rescue up on Mount, is it Mount Laura? Is that right? Laurel Mountain. Laurel Mountain. Oh, I can't wait to like you guys to hear this story. This is, this is awesome. So my first Navy guys coming on full crew, legit. Josh, let's start with you. Let's introduce yourself. Hey, yeah. So uh, I'm Josh. I
1: was with the crew acting in the co-pilot position. Um, I've been with NAS Search and Rescue now for about a year and a half. Um, before this, I was on my uh, sea tour with HSC-26 on the East Coast, um, and then from there picked up this job and have, have been flying over here since. One of my, my first rescues here was, was pretty benign compared to what we're going to talk about in a little bit. We just ended up picking up a hiker with some hip problems
0: on the pct it's nice wide open yeah actually it was Same this whole crew group. right here yeah. So. oh yeah oh so we can get a couple cases out of you guys man i'm, yeah. I'm gonna take full advantage <laughs> it was
1: high altitude summertime but uh nice wide open field so we got to just piggy approach in there no issues with power um, and i think the coolest part about that one was we kind of stole that one right from under the noses of our sister squadron over in china lake they flew over us on a training flight we're wondering what we're doing out there so <laughs>
2: that's awesome actually came in and landed behind us and then they asked us hey we'll take it from here and we're like "Nah, we got him man. <laughs> he's already packaged up in the litter like we got this guy they weren't too happy whatever yeah hey we got we got this
0: we got this oh got- <laughs> yeah
2: nice milo what about you uh, Milo Perez, I'm from uh, Texas, grew up in California. So I joined the Navy a while back, uh, back in 2000. So I've been in for, for a minute. Uh, this is actually my last 3D station. So I'll be retiring out of here uh, next year.
0: Congratulations, my friend.
2: I'm a little excited, but I'm still kind of trying to figure out what I'm gonna do after this. I don't know if I'm gonna continue with SAR, if it works out, but we'll, we'll see. Man, that's uh, awesome. So yeah, I've been here at Lamore for two years. Um, Got a year left. Uh, Before here, I was over at uh, HSC4, which is down in San Diego, carrier squadron. Uh, Before that, I was in Guam. Uh, In Guam, I got to do a couple medevacs. And I did a little bit of uh, hurricane stuff. We got two or three hurricanes go through there. And they kind of wrecked Saipan. So
3: we didn't get a lot of rescues.
2: We just did a lot of support for uh, for FEMA and all that, transporting people back and forth. Uh, Before Guam, I was actually in our sister squadron channel eight so i was on the other side
0: <laughs> so and, uh, so you probably knew so the guys that were like hey we can take it from here like no no you can't all right we got this i know who you are no <laughs>
2: everyone that i knew was already long gone by that so, oh like, okay, so okay. Was, maybe like everyone rotates every three years so like this squadron will be completely different in three years uh um, yeah, yeah so, so uh, channel eight and then before that i was uh hs6 and then yep um so i've been carrier. i've been doing carriers my, my my whole career so i got a lot of plane guard time behind the carriers.
0: Nice. Uh, side note question. So you're a hoist operator um, on the H-60 uh, and that's what you guys are flying currently is the, as, as you mentioned earlier, the Sierra model of the H-60, the Blackhawk. But already, is it the, what is it the Blackhawk specifically? Or yeah, is it I think it's the Nighthawk? The Nighthawk, okay, nice. Oh, I love that aircraft. I really do like the 60. It's such a beautiful aircraft. Um, are you a rescue swimmer as well? for the
2: on the for us so i'm a he's actually a corpsman so hm so he's strictly just uh, medical Yep. Um, and then for on my side yeah, i'm a rescue swimmer and a voice operator so
0: you went down to rescue swimmer pensacola yep
2: oh yep. and survived yep. yeah i did it back uh 2004 right after i think it was Ivan. after nice. i after Ivan wrecked the whole uh area there i went there like two weeks after that
0: wow nice yeah. So you're the first rescue swimmer from the Navy that I've had on here too. Look at that, man. You know how many Coast Guard rescue swimmers are kind of picking on you right now? I just want you to, I mean, like, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. All right, into my man Q. All right, so hey, it's actually, I can't say Q. I, what's your real name again? So uh, Q Vaughn. Q Vaughn. All right, Mr. Q Vaughn. So
3: introduce yourself, my friend. All right, um, I'm Agent 2, Cuban facing. Um, this is my first aviation command. Uh, been there for about a year and a half now. I uh, started my career, well, I'm originally from Florida, Central Florida, Sanford, Florida to be exact. Uh, I started my career uh, at NAS Jacksonville, just regular clinic corpsman, just knowing the basics, general duty stuff. I uh, spent two years there, then I shifted over to 3rd Marine Division uh, out of Okinawa, Japan. Uh, I was just doing pretty much the same thing, but kind of more on the uh, Marine Corps side and working with those guys uh, had a ton of fun, uh, too much fun sometimes, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> wrong <down laughs> with that nothing wrong with that. Yeah, Come on <laughs> down there uh, protecting the Pacific and uh, just hanging out with them after that tour. I really didn't want to go back to a hospital, so uh, a a friend of mine recommended, hey, you should go SMT, search and rescue med tech, and I was like, well, I have nothing to lose now, you know, it's either I make it through and become SMT or you go back to a regular hospital, so here I am uh, after about three years' worth of training. um, That training starts out in uh, Pensacola as well uh, at the flight medic course. Or, well, prior to that, you do uh, your NACUS, your, your basic uh, air crewman school. Uh, then you move on to your uh, flight medical course just across the street. Um, uh, and then pipeline continues from there. After you qualify, you get selected to your uh, aviation command unit and here I am.
0: So. Man, that's pretty awesome. Now you said you're an EMT basic, right? Yep. So what yep. else do they do in flight corpsman stuff? or flight medic training? Is there anything additional
3: uh, that, that you learn outside? Yes, yeah, so you, you kind of learn how to take your take your EMT stuff and kind of, how do I say it, to marge it with the aviation community or working in the back of a 60 or a, a 22, um, just kind of transitioning your your ground medicine into flight and transport
0: medicine. Oh, I like that, man. That's a really good idea. Um, And I say that because when, so when I went through basic school in Coast Guard, we went to Petaluma, California, and it was really ground stuff. Uh, And then we worked in the back of the ambulance, you know, getting our our ride along time stuff. And then after that, it was like, okay, you're back to your unit. You don't learn how to really start working on a patient in the back of an aircraft until you're like in the back of the aircraft with the patient. You're like, oh, oh, man, there's no room in the back of this aircraft. (laughs) So, man- kudos for navy for that one man that that's fantastic that's pretty cool
3: Uh, course is really intense um they 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 do a very good job with putting you in a real life scenario and how to work through work as a crew um and and get through the problem and treat your patients wow man i like that
0: gosh come on coast guard step it up i'm just kidding i'm kidding because i'm coast guard all right give navy guys kudos one time come on
2: yeah the navy's kidding. the navy's starting to catch up on the medical side so now they're starting to send uh the hms through paramedic school so i don't know maybe in a year or two from now mm-hmm. so that's going to come online to where once we get our hms here or in the fleet they're going to be full full paramedics
0: wow that's going to be great
2: wow it's, it's taking forever it's, i think they've been talking about it for over five eight years and i think it's finally like in the final stages
0: man that fantastic um actually i know of a podcast uh out there it's called uh dust the dust dust off medic and those guys he talks about all this stuff he's national guard off the top of my head but um all those guys are paramedics as well and and what they're doing in search and rescue and stuff so i man kudos good job dude that's that's gonna be fantastic good luck with your paramedic stuff there q game on (laughs) study your drugs. Okay. As my instructors would tell me, just study your drugs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nice. Well, thank you for the introduction guys. I appreciate it. Um, so now I, I'm going to segue right into this cause you guys sent me this, this awesome after action. And I don't want to, uh, I don't want to take away from anything because I know you I have you guys here, but the call out is this, and it's, this is right out of the after action. Um, you guys had a request at 1732 for an 80 mile transit to the survivors located at 10,450 feet on Laurel mountain. And then at, uh, 1820, the crew arrived in the vicinity of the survivors after numerous passes and the, uh, Mono County SAR ground teams talk ons, wait, talk ons is that radio
1: uh yeah so the way that the kind of land's laid out there's convict lake at the base of laurel mountain yep. they had a ground team down there with binoculars and a spotting scope to find where the people were located and they just gave us a talk on via radios that hey you guys are eye level with them or you need to climb the
0: went so that we could pick them out where they were in the shoot so they're straight up vectoring you guys right into the survivors yep Wow. Okay. All right. So let me back up because I'm not even going to worry about the after action. I just want to hear this right from you guys. So what, what is the case that get, gets called out to you guys?
1: Yeah. So uh, we were on weekend duty um, for that. The way it kind of works is we all just sign up for different weekends. Uh, we, we cover SAR 24-7. Uh, and traditionally we're here just to cover down for the jets uh, to provide SAR coverage for the jets at the base. But outside of that, uh, we've got a pretty long leash with our skipper to to assist the local counties with with SAR uh, on the civilian side. So um, we got the call from Mono County, uh, which is, like you said, about 80 miles to the North Northeast. Um, And the report was that there were three rock climbers um, in the Northeast gully of Laurel Mountain, which is a pretty um, well-known rock climbing route. I think it's got some class five pitches um, and they got wiped out by a rock slide uh, where one of the guys was pretty injured. He had, I think crushed his climbing helmet and he had a couple compound fractures. So the other two were okay, but they were just stuck. Uh, and obviously that guy was not going to be climbing his way down. So uh, that kind of set the scene for us. We all uh, arrived at the squadron spaces and then went to work kind of with the mission planning. So we typically try to get out the door pretty quick, but for this one, uh, summertime around here gets pretty hot and the service ceiling for our, our NATOPs instruction, so our pub for the Sierras is 13,000 VA, which okay. uh, a little a little low for what we have to work with around here. So uh, we kind of yeah. had that in mind, knowing that we we're going to be flirting with that. And then anytime we're above 10,000, we're, we're technically limited to uh, 30 minutes up there without supplemental oxygen.
0: Right. So uh, for most people that, that it, actually don't know this is that So if you don't have a um, uh, sealed cabin, you know, or pressurized cabin, once you get above 10,000 feet, you're now starting to uh, get hypoxia. And next thing you know, you're seeing weird stuff. And yeah, it's it's not good. It's not good at all. So you guys going up to that altitude and getting ready to hoist, I might add. So cabin door is coming open without supplemental auction is that turns into a big deal pretty quick. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, especially when you know you're exerting yourself and prepping the cabin and busting out the the rescue basket, the lid, and all that. That yeah, you, you you definitely feel you start getting winded.
0: Start yeah. sucking in. <gasps> oh, you look over at Q, medic. I can't <laughs> breathe. <laughs> all right, sorry, I, I need mean to cut you off. Go ahead,
1: Josh. Oh, it's all good. So yeah, we, we met up in the squadron spaces. And then from there, uh, we pretty much just start divvying up tasks. Q went right to work, getting, uh, the cabin prepped, bringing all his med gear out. Uh, and then St. Jean, our Lieutenant commander who was the hack for that flight went out, uh, with Q he started pre flighting in the aircraft and myself and Perez stayed inside. We got on the computer, started looking at some imagery, uh, and doing some rough power calcs just to see what our power was going to look like in terms of, uh, if we'd even have the power available to, to get up to that altitude and, and how we we're going to be able to work. So um, looking at Google Earth, it became pretty apparent that uh, there was nowhere for us to land and that this was going to be a, a hoagie, so a hover out of ground effect kind of, kind of rescue for us where we wouldn't have that added benefit of being in the ground effect bubble uh, and kind of le- lessen our power required. So yeah uh, we went there knowing that. Um, and then looking at the map, too, we, we were uh, lucky enough to realize that, man, that the Yosemite Airport was just about four miles and uh, 3,000 feet lower than the spot. So we could set our, our bingo fuel pretty low, get really light on gas, and then basically just auto down to the airfield uh,
0: if we needed to. Oh, yeah. Wow, so, that's, yeah. that's pretty awesome right there. <laughs> All right. So now you guys get up on scene and uh, you've got guys talking you into the area. W- what are you seeing?
1: Yeah, so um, we came around the the mountain. So we're coming from the west side of the Sierras and we, we get around to the eastern side, uh, east face of Mount Laurel. And uh, it's the eastern Sierras for anybody who hasn't, hasn't been over there. They're pretty um just sheer, it's, a, it's like a 7,000 foot rise in granite cliffs from the Owen Valley. And it's, it's, it's pretty inspiring to, to look at, but from a standpoint of how we're gonna get in there and work, it, it's pretty intimidating. So we uh, crested over the ridge and then the bottom just drops out and, and you're looking at these steep shoots um, of, of granite. And we're really just trying to find them. Um, luckily we had good radio comms with the ground party for mono. Um, and They gave us some talk-ons. They said, "Hey, it looks like you guys are a little high, or a little low." We made multiple passes along the face the whole time, uh, trying to evaluate the winds too, because it was mid to late afternoon at that point. So, some pretty pretty strong winds um, along the Owens Valley and interfering with the mountains too.
0: Were you worried about downdrafts as well coming off the mountain and stuff? Or,
1: yeah, so they did end up becoming an issue uh, when we tucked into terrain. Um, especially as the timing that we got there uh, as the sun was heating everything up you got some updrafts but as soon as the sun dipped behind that ridge line and that face started to cool it swapped to a a pretty strong downflow and then the chute that they were in just channeled all that downflow and we were seeing some pretty probably 20-30 knot steady sustained downdrafts that was uh, making our power required uh, a little bit higher just because we had to counter that basically 30 mile an hour downflowing wind.
0: Wow. So uh, I, I'm going to help out people that don't fly and, and don't quite understand this, but um, the updrafts you're talking about come basically off the ground and they they go up the side of the mountain to push you up in altitude. And and so you're letting out a little more power to try to settle the aircraft. A downdraft is that wind that comes off the top of the mountain and and it basically goes down the mountain. And if you get into your helicopter into that downdraft, it's actually pushing you down. So you're required to pull more helicopter or pull more power from your helicopter to get up in altitude. That is not an easy feat. And if you don't know that when you bring it into that position over the top of your victims, man, that could be a bad day for the entire crew. And and we've all seen the videos of aircrafts going into that Mount Hood being one of the big ones they went in thinking they had enough power downdraft took that helicopter right out of the sky and uh so that's that's a that's a big key point right there that's good for you guys for you know evaluating all that going in there that's pretty awesome
1: yeah so we we kind of just kept kept doing some passes uh once we spotted them um we'll typically either have the guys sitting in the cabin door wave to them so that they know because nothing's more disheartening for a survivor to see the helo and just keep making passes and and not know if they saw you or not. So we we try to let them know either with the searchlight or or waving uh, that, hey, we did see you guys. Uh, And then we just continued with the evaluations uh, in terms of power and wind. So uh, I think at that point, we uh, started coming up with a game plan, uh, knowing that we were going to have to repel. We wanted to get in a little bit closer and start sizing up the the shoot, um, and just see how low we were going to be able to get into there. We started doing some power checks, uh, realized that with the fuel load that we had and the DA that we were at, uh, at that point the aircraft was basically going to have to be at zero fuel weight, so empty. Yeah. Uh, to hoagie with any sort of margin. Um, so we knew we were going to have to do something to get pretty light. Um, So we made a couple more passes just to kind of size it up and then made the decision to drop down into Mammoth to start stripping out gear. So we landed down at the airfield and then just offloaded everything that we didn't need. Um, So our rescue basket, uh, I think we, we only kept the rappel rope. And the litter, and then the stuff that you guys needed. To yeah. kind of pick up to that.
2: Pretty much summed all the gear, and I just kept the minimum uh, minimum gear required to conduct the rappel and hoist operation. So, yep. Uh, we got two fire bottles. I even took the, I took one out because we only required to have one as per <laughs> um, yeah, uh, up, geez, So uh,
0: that's when you're looking at stuff like, uh, do we really need this? Maybe. Yeah. Nah, i just just not it. Out. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we're we're just trying to get pretty skinny.
1: Um, we took some floorboards out just because we didn't need them. Uh, and then we, we went back up. Uh, and at this point, I think we were making our passes with about 1,100 pounds of fuel. And for the Sierra, our minimum that we need to be on deck by is 450. So uh, we do, we set our bingo right at 500. We figured 50 pounds of gas would be enough to do a powered off descent just right down to Mammoth. So that was as light as we get. Um, and then we started making approaches I think the first one we ended up getting into, uh, we had to tuck pretty tight into terrain. So we're working the the face, and we tucked into probably one to two rotors off of the face of Mount Laurel.
0: Oh, so then, you're getting close to that mountain. Dang. Yeah,
1: we were trying to stay within the mountain, uh, which is a little bit cleaner, but still in some downflow, and then just working our way over to it. Um, and then the most challenging part was there's a Kind of a ridge line that dropped down on the other face of that that chute. So if you can imagine, they're tucked into a steep little chute that dropped down from pretty much a summit to the lake. And then right out in front of our nose, we had a, a, a ridge line that just kind of covered in front. So our approach put that ridge line right off the nose. We had the chute off to the right. And then our wave off was down and left 90 degrees for about 3,000 feet. <laughs>
0: I love that. My out is gonna be a a descent 3000 feet. (laughs) Oh my gosh, dude, that's that's crazy. All right. All right, so you guys are in a hover over the top of the target. Uh, All the power has been checked. Hit me.
1: Yeah, so we're still kind of like in a a power wind finding situation. I think grand total that day, we made close to 15, 20 passes. And attempts uh, just to get into the the hoagie. Um, so this one was one of our first, like, hey, we're gonna go slow, we're gonna get uh, pretty pretty slow, uh, and then get into the hoagie over this spot and see if the bird will hold it. Um, our number one engine, I want to say, it was either the number one or the number two. Uh, We've we only got two, so uh, one of them was a weaker than the other, and. For the Sierra, we've got some different temperature limits based on them. And that day at that altitude, uh, we were operating in the two and a half minute window. So the, the tapes were red, um, but we were in the, in the red temp for either limited to two and a half minutes. So we were racing the clock on that to get the rappel done each oh hover. Um, we only had two and a half minutes each time we were stabilized in the hover to get what we were doing done. So,
3: wow.
2: Uh, I, put, I put a little bit of pressure on me as a, uh, the horse operator in the back. So I got like about two and a half minutes. I'm getting like a mile final. So I got to get this guy out the door, do all the safety checks, you know, attach the, uh, the way we deploy our, our rescue litter. We, uh, we, uh, it's fully extended and we clip it to his harness and it's basically between his legs. And he's got to pinch it with his legs as, as you're repelling. Yeah. You got to get all that stuff out the door, do the safety checks, uh, position the aircraft in the right spot and get them off the door, you know, within the two and a half minute window. So that was probably like the biggest pressure. Jeez. In my
0: oh my God. All right, so is the litter hanging vertical then between your legs? So the litter is going to hit the ground before you do.
2: Yeah. Yep, oh. You got to push <laughs> it out as you're coming down or else it's not going to be nice.
0: Wow. Oh, so I I just mentioned you guys a little bit ago, but the Coast Guard, I had, I've i never done that with the Coast Guard. It's not rappel out of the aircraft is not something we do. So, man, this is the, this is all new to me. This is exciting. I'm, I'm jonesing right now. All right, so you've got two and a half minutes to get Q out the door, all the gear, rope dropped, and go. So how are you setting up the cabin in particular, Milo, to – to prepare for that is is like q is q sitting at the door
2: litter is attached and you're just three two one hold drop and go or uh yeah we pre-stage everything in the in the cabins so we already dumped all the gear that we didn't need yeah so we had the minimum equipment required um the litter is pretty much all it's already uh set up and extended it's sitting in the back of the aircraft uh, so i get we already got the rappel and the and the belay line set, uh set up Uh, So, basically, we hook everything up inside. Uh, I hook him up to the rappel the delay line, all that stuff. I get him out the door, and then all I do is slide the litter out between his legs, clip it to his harness, and then recheck everything. And then as soon as I get clearance from the pilots, you know, I give him the three taps, and then he's on his way.
3: Wow. So, uh,
2: like LT was saying, we had to do multiple passes. And there's a couple times where we'll be, like, on a short final. We'll get a down draft and we'll start drooping. So yeah. like with power available, it's, you know, it exceeds uh, power required. And, you know, I'd like grab them, push them, you know, pull them back into the aircraft with the glitter and all that, close the door and wave off. So I think we did that two or three times.
1: Yeah, we were, one of the first wave offs was probably one of the, the worst ones. We got in there, we got set up and, and for the approach, like you said, Q and him are ready to go. Q's hanging out the, the cabin door. And we're just keeping it below 40 knots for the approach. Yeah. Um, and, and as we get in there, uh, we get set. We're, we're there for maybe 5, 10 seconds and then got slammed by a downdraft. Uh, we drooped down to about 96% on that one. Um, so it's like, I, I know you paused, but 100% NR, that's like our rotors working at 100%. Uh, once you drop below 98, it starts to get a, a little bad. You can kind of hear them spooling down. They're just grabbing for air that's not there, and they're trying to trying to keep enough power on the bird to keep you in the hover. But uh, basically the pitch is just too high, uh, so the rotor starts slowing down. So we're at 96%. And the issue with drooping um, is the rotors are trying to rob power from the tail rotor. So you start losing your counter torque. And with our aircraft, the nose wants to break right. Now right for the nose break is into the side of Laurel Mountain. Our way off is down and left, which is a higher power requirement. So we uh, had to we pulled Q in as soon as we told them that we were departing. Uh, gets them in the cabin. And then we just kind of dump the collective and take that drop off down and left with a 90-degree turnout get away from the, the terrain. Yeah.
0: Oh, snap uh q are you on comms at, at, during all this or is it are you just so coast guard wise and and not so much now and what i do but um we're once we get ready we take our helmet off and we're no longer on ics we're not on comms with the pilot so we just hang out the aircraft so if flight Mac pulls us in or the crew chief pulls us in you're like what are you what's wrong and then all of a sudden you feel it, the aircraft diving so are you on comms at this time or
3: Yes, I was on the continuous comms. We have the AWIC system, the Aircrew Wireless ICS system. So beautiful. Uh, we, just it, we just plug it into a little wireless radio pack on our vest and just connect in, so we can hear all ICS comms, even even if you're on deck, uh, line of sight, it still works. So. Yeah,
0: so that's, I'm using a similar system now. The one I use is um, uh, Nexus is it nexus i think it's or uh no a x n e s and that's another wireless ics system great, great 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 invention god it's a it's a game changer as an rs on the hook on the ground you're all you're still in ics communication with the aircraft that's i like that all right so three passes try to get in there can't do it you've now decided you got two and a half minutes
1: So uh, we basically um, got as light as we knew we could be. Uh, So we're down to, I think, about 650 pounds of fuel remaining, uh, knowing that our bingo is going to be right at 500. So we've got about enough gas for one more pass in the hover. Uh, And we made the approach and we knew, hey, this is this is as light as we're going to be. So if it doesn't work now, it's just not going to work. We got in there, uh, got into the hover um, and they immediately went to work. Uh, we we're stable. Uh, Lieutenant Commander St. Jean was sitting right seat, so he's got the references. Uh, he's holding that, and I'm just calling out torques and, and TGTs to him just to let him know how engine instruments are doing, and I'm, I'm giving him the countdown for a, a two and a half minutes. Uh, wow. At that point, the show was in the back.
0: So I, so now I'm going to run to the back. So let me start with you, Milo. You get Q uh, outside the door. Um, again, I, I, this is a little new to me. How do you deploy the, uh, the rappel line? Is that you or is that Q that drops out?
2: So yeah, it's, it's already attached to the aircraft. He's hooked up to the aircraft and he's at the, he's at the door. Everything's already ready to go at that point. And uh, he's got a, a, a Sky Genie, especially that's a, a descent device that we use to descend. And, and it's all on him. As soon as I do my final checks, I'll request permission from the pilots, make sure they're, they're ready to go and have a stable hover. As soon as they gave me permission, I give him the three taps and then he'll start coming out of this uh, lock off and then he he's the one controlling the descent. Nice. Um, so I think at that point we're like 70, 80 foot uh, rappel. Uh, so maybe it was a little higher. Yeah. I'm trying to remember from a year ago. Was let's let's call it a
0: 100. I like 100.
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it <was> about 100.
0: <laughs> oh, you know, I've heard those
2: uh, fish stories. Everything gets bigger with time, right? It was no, 200 feet. <laughs> Um, I'm just the kidding. Problem, yeah, the, the main problem was that we couldn't. It was a sheer cliff. It was pretty steep. Yeah, could on top of the survivors because of the the narrow shoot. We just didn't have the clearance. So I was able to repel him just below the survivors, um, I don't know, twenty yards down or something like that. that was like yeah, forty feet down the shoot.
3: Yeah, forty feet below honestly, them. Too
2: bad. There's like a little little open spot there. I was able to put him there. Uh, yeah, and then honestly, uh, I didn't want to mess around with uh disconnecting the carabiners and dropping the ropes and all that because yeah i mean time was essential so as soon as he got on deck i just cut the repel rope like uh, knife cut it yep wow our our normal release is like you know because there's some weight on the rope so you got to pull it and you got to uh unlock the carabiner unhook it from the carabiner route it through one of our rings and then you drop it So that takes about five ten seconds but we were just full time limited that like as soon as he got on deck and he was okay, I was like, all right, just cut it. Yeah, we wow.
1: Super smart. Gosh. Unit. And uh, and I'm pretty sure we were into about 98 once he touched deck. So uh, we let him know where we had to go and we just cut the rope. And then we dropped down into mammoth for gas. Yeah. My,
2: my biggest concern with them when he was doing the rappel, uh, I was just terrified of waving off, especially with them below the aircraft with a litter um if you gotta like drop down nose over and pick up speed him with the litter the way it is he's gonna start swinging and spinning and that's probably like the most terrifying like 15 20 seconds of flight like (laughs) a transition from getting him up from the aircraft to the ground
3: and cue the whole time he's like what's up (laughs) yeah (laughs) he was a little relaxed uh yeah (laughs) the the whole process uh going back to the whole two two and a half minutes um the uh to someone calling out those numbers very calmly kind of kept me calm during the entire situation. Awesome. So, during my rappel, uh I actually I encounter a few like pigtails is where the rope kind of twists up on itself and it'll yeah. stand in the sky genie. So uh I ran into that kind of 20 feet from the deck. So I'm working through that and he's 30 seconds or whatever down. And as soon as I touch the the it's like a three foot ledge that I just safely landed on, I just feel the rope Release, um, and I didn't know he had cut it at that time because uh, I decided to. Uh, one of the survivors climbed down to where I was about fifty feet from the actual uh, the injured guy. Yeah. Um, I asked him if he can take the litter up, and he was like, "Yeah, sure." So I tied a quick knot, an uh, inline knot, and I put a carabiner through and connected to the to the uh, to the litter. While well, I was pulling the, the the end of the rope up, and I was looking at it and was like oh well that's cut um (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and uh, he took that in up to where the guy was and he started pulling it up hand by hand and I followed him kind of on hands and knees kind of trying to get my grip and it was a pretty nice vertical uh uh shoot I had to go up I'm not a climber so I'm just kind of like I'm holding on for dear life and uh it's only one way up you, you really can't go back down or you'll start you know sliding down so uh, yeah really, um, so
0: i real quick i when you go down so you went down with the litter i assume you went down with like a medical bag as well
3: yes so, we have a medical bag.
0: do you uh, when you're rappelling out is that on your back or do you have that hanging between your legs as well
3: it's on the back just like a backpack
0: oh it is and you don't that doesn't center your or like offshoot your center of gravity or anything Man, that's pretty cool. I, and I asked that because if I've been on the hoist hook before where I've had a backpack and it actually pulls me like over and I'm I'm almost like headlocking the hook so to keep myself upright. And yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. That you can go down with that and all the gear. So holy cow. All right. So now you got to climb up. The, the aircraft is gone. See You guys are out of the picture for a minute. I'm sorry. This is a conversation for me and Q at the moment. <laughs> All right, so now you're on scene. you got to climb up 50 feet, this freaking rock ledge, holding on for dear life. You come up to the three guys, and, like, what's going through your
3: head right now? Uh, so I'm pretty uh, – one thing I really learned from the Marine Corps and work with Marines is the best medicine you can give someone is to be calm. So um, no matter what – no, no matter the things that I've gone through to get here, I'm here, and you're looking at me to get you out of here. Yeah. I, first thing is just be calm and do what I'm do what I'm trained to do. Um, so I immediately just state my name. Hey, everything okay? I'm here. I'm gonna get you out of here. Uh, they pointed me to the guy who was pretty pretty messed up, but he was definitely uh, uh, with me and conscious and talking to me, and just pretty much saying what hurt, what didn't hurt. I did a really quick, rapid trauma assessment on him. Uh, everything was was fine. Um, he had a pretty jacked up left uh, elbow. Uh, bone was sticking through. Ooh. Uh, his, he said his right knee. Yeah, his right knee was killing him. Uh, I checked that out, and he was swollen up like a like a freaking softball. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, he just kind of got hit on the head, so he was, he was there, but he was definitely kind of ready to go home. So yeah. Uh, and uh, to put it in the picture, the he was kind of laying uh horizontally on this kind of three foot ledge, so. To the right of him is sheer cliff, and then to the—I mean, to the left of him is right. Sorry, right of him is sheer cliff, and then to the right is just a wall. So I had to kind of work between this three-foot kind of ledge-ish thing. Uh, so putting the litter, getting him on the litter was was the roughest. Um, I had to help. I had to get the Walker wound survivor to come over and kind of lift him up. Yeah, and we just shimmy him on to the litter. Oh uh, my just, gosh.
0: And you being a basic, you're not carrying any major pain meds or anything. So oh, no. you got to look at this guy and be like, dude, here's a stick. Bite down because it's going to hurt when we move you.
3: Yeah, yeah. I definitely um, uh, uh, packaged him up pretty good. I made sure that he was nice and, and snug. Everything was at- uh, anatomically splendid and everything like that. Um, he, he definitely felt comfort with me being there and just kind of just let loose a little bit and that was really good for me i'd have to deal with a kind of a going crazy patient Just yeah super common super cool
0: which is actually that's pretty cool you said that too because one of the things you know when you get patients that get hit in the head you never actually know what you're gonna get because they could with the head trauma it it could be a, a terrible turnout for everyone you
3: know so wow, everything, everything checked out neurologically. He was he was perfectly unstable, he just wanted to go home at that point. Um, I got him packaged up, I started working. Uh, it was actually a female was the uh kind of the second injury, she just kind of hurt her knee, scraped her knee really bad. But I think most of her injuries were kind of psychological. She was just kind of like, Uh, I don't want to stay here, I don't want to time out, I don't want to climb down, I don't want to wait for a car ground critic, I just want to go. I want to get out of here too. Yeah, uh, keeping her kind of cool through through the process was definitely the biggest medicine that I, I, I could have given um, her. <laughs> yeah, all
0: right. Dude. So now you you've got you've got the patients all packaged up or the the one guy packaged up in the litter. Um, I assume you have radio comms with the aircraft. Yes, and, uh,
3: we have a a, um, a handheld uh, like VHF. The VHF, VHF yeah. radio. Uh, we were in line of sight, so I was definitely talking to him, telling him what's going on. There. All right,
0: all right. So Josh, I, I got to bounce to you real quick now. Q gets on the radio. He's like, "All right, guys, I got three, three patients or three people that are gonna get hoisted out or need need to be extracted." Like you just, you just had two and a half minutes to get one guy in and couldn't get wait to get him off the aircraft. All right, sorry, yeah. Q. <laughs> But now all of a sudden you're gonna have to, let's let's put each one of them at 200 pounds. And I know they're not there, but that's 600 pounds. And if you had Q, Q, I'm not saying you're 200 pounds, but let's, I mean, just for gear and equipment, 800 pounds more people, equipment that have to come back on the aircraft. What is going through your mind right now, Josh?
1: Yeah, so uh, knowing that we, we knew it was just gonna be a, a circus of one at a time, um, so, we discussed on deck, We I think we only took gas to about, we took maybe about 150 pounds of gas, which for us
2: is just a like,
1: quick sit. So, we topped off to like 750 just to get us up to the climb uh, and establish, and that would give us enough time for maybe one uh, pass or two passes if we had to wave off, but we knew we were going to have to be light taking on the extra person, but uh, we discussed with, with on while he was up there uh, and then have a good line of sight. We were just sitting down on APU at 750 pounds of gas, and as soon as he gave us the green light, we were going to go up there um, and then lower the, the hoist as quick as we could once we were established, and it was just going to be a quick pick. He was going to hook in, be ready with the litter patient, and we were going to be uh, pull both of those dudes right off the side, and then um, basically a short haul with an in-flight hoist recovery as we descended down the mountain.
0: Oh my gosh, that's awesome. All right, so for everybody else, the, I, all right, so basically you're gonna come into a hover, you're gonna take tension on the hoist cable, so that's all Milo, try take a load, mm-hmm. take a load, power check, power's good, a little bit, and you're leaving scene flying down the mountain as you're hoisting them in to save the power and the time on scene.
2: Yeah, yeah so uh, yeah, I, we came in, we got tucked in in that chute as much as we uh, could, uh, like I said, on the first repel, we couldn't quite get right on top of them, So yeah. I had to come up a little bit higher and get tucked in there a little. Because, you know, at this point, he's on the on litter. So I have to get the hoist to him. Yeah. We came in there. I, was, I came up a little bit. And we kind of tucked it in a little bit more. I think as far as clearance, I think we had uh, at the 7 o'clock. I'm sorry, at the uh, 5 o'clock, I think there's about 10 feet of clearance, 10, 15 feet of clearance
3: from the tow <laughs> rotor
2: and the, that shoe. And then at, at the two o'clock, there's probably 20, 15 feet of clearance. So we couldn't get any closer. And actually, I couldn't even get the hoist right on top of him. So I had to kind of like swing it to him a couple feet. So yeah. I kind of swung the hoist in there a couple feet. He grabbed it. He hooked up. He did his final checks. As soon as he gave me that thumbs up, we slowly came up. And then we just kind of came left. As soon as he was clear, we just nosed it over and started heading down the, uh, the mountain.
0: All right, uh, Q, were you riding with the patient in the litter? Yeah, so, so yeah,
3: yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, uh, yeah, on the pickup, when he when he dropped the hook, I mean, it, it couldn't have been a better hoist drop off because it just landed right behind me, and I was just able to reach back as far as I could and grabbed it, and while I was reaching back, the litter patient reaches and grabs me because he knew, like, I was leaning toward the edge of the cliff, so he grabs me. I grabbed the hook and it, and I'm like, Jesus. everything's okay. It, the white in his eyes was just like, just I saw everything. And I hooked up and just gave him the thumbs up and we started flying, yeah. Wow. Eggs and we're just cruising 10,000 feet down. to. Uh, to yeah. How
0: high was the hoist? Do you remember?
2: Uh, I think it was a little bit higher. I think this one was 130, 150, I think. Yeah
0: um out of curiosity because you were so you were you off center just a little bit and i'm only asking because when you came off they would have come into a little bit of a swing and then as soon as you started forward and or down and left
2: towards the landing zone they would have like pretty much stopped their swing as you're bringing them in right so they swung a little bit but not too bad i think if it would have came another five 10 feet piece to the right um that would have been perfectly plumb under the air pad, but yeah but you didn't and have that in, yeah, the thing is like to the left, there, there. I mean, I wasn't worried about it because as soon as we picked up, we came left and there's nothing on the left that we hit. So as soon as we, we nosed it over, um, they, they got a little bit of a swing, but as soon as we picked up a little bit of airspeed, they kind of stapled up. Yeah. And the litter, like zero spin. It was like perfect. Like the litter came straight up and I like, didn't even spin.
0: Oh, so, like, that is a, beautiful. I think I did
2: like a, maybe a quarter spin and that's it. Yeah. Perfectly stable.
0: Dang man, all right, all right, wow, I, I'm like blown away with this. This is awesome! All right, so now you got the patient, you got a queue up to the door, rolling down. You're probably doing what, probably 20 30 knots towards the landing zone.
1: Yeah, max 40 until he's in the cabin. Uh, once he got him in the cabin, uh, we buttoned up, and then honestly, to, to get to make the descent without having to kind of spiral our way down, we we almost uncoupled. So, we'll, basically an auto rotation just to lose the altitude uh, and then landed in uh, Mammoth where we had an ambulance waiting. And from there, we offloaded the litter patient and phased on into the ambulance. Uh, And he started his turnover. And then that's where we kind of started doing a game plan for how we're gonna get these other two? So because
0: you gotta go back up, and somebody cut the rappel rope. Way to go, Milo. <laughs> you
2: got a spare one, so. yeah. oh, thank
0: God.
1: Yeah. Uh, and luckily, the Mono County Sheriff had, uh, comes with the, the guys that were on the side of the mountain. So they were talking via sat. Uh, after a conversation, they're both uninjured, uh, except for the small lacerations and, and bruising to the, the female's knees. Um, so we made the decision that we would go back up, but uh, the risk to phase on to have him repel for these uninjured when a ground party could essentially hike up or these two uninjured people could hike down uh, after they repel and do their stuff. We just thought it was too risky for him to repel to them again. So we would go and make an attempt uh, and we we're going to lower a basket to them one at a time and see if they could get into the basket. So Sheriff texted them the game plan via SAT they responded that they were good with it. Uh, Obviously, the the female and the other guy didn't want to spend the night sunset um, was (laughs) happening, so it was starting to get dark. Um, So we told them we'd be up there, took a little bit more gas up to 750, swapped out the litter, left Faison down in Mammoth with the patient for turnover and myself, uh, Lieutenant Commander St. Jean, and Milo went up with just the rescue basket to pick up the other two.
0: So, all right, now that you've got the rescue basket, Milo, you guys get into that hover. I, I, I get it. You guys still can't get right over that top of that spot. So you, do you have to swing the basket into them a little bit as well?
2: Yep. So, yeah, and at this point, it was already night too. So we're already on night on, on vision goggles. So it added a little extra element.
0: Jesus, Mary and Joseph, are you kidding me right now? You guys yeah. are doing this under goggles, too?
2: Sick. Ah. Yeah. Oh. Wow. And yeah, that was the main concern. We got a little bit lighter, uh, dropping off base on and, um I dropped off the rest of his medical equipment, so it was a completely gutted cabin. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I think by the time we did our first approach, it was already it was night time, so we already gobbled up. Are you hoisting on goggles? Yep, so I'm kind of like, I have my goggles on, and I'm, uh, yep. we had the lights on, I had the searchlight, point yep. straight down, and I'll be off the go- I'll look underneath the goggles to like uh, look underneath the aircraft. Um, and then to clear the, the side of the aircraft, I'll, I'll be on goggles. Um, nice. But yeah, it was the same approach. We came on top of survivors with the basket and I tried to get tucked in there as much as I can. Um, I think maybe I was a little bit more careful this time just because it was dark. Yeah. The kind of tail and all that with goggles, it's a little bit more challenging. So, but yeah, I think I, I, I tucked in there as much as I could and I just started s- swinging the basket through them. So yeah, it took a couple of tries, three or four tries and I swung it, and then uh, as soon as I got next to him, I kind of dropped it, and, I, yeah. and then right next to him, he grabbed the basket, he jumps in. As soon as he jumps in, I just start uh, hoisting up a little bit, and yep. then as soon as he came off the ground, You know, we did the same thing, we just kind of come left and nose down, and he went for a ride.
0: Wow, and then went back up to get uh, the last person, same
2: way. Yeah, that dude, he was terrified. Uh, as soon as I brought him off to the cabin, like, he was actually pretty smart, because he, he had a climbing harness, and he was actually clipped into the basket. So, um, there's no way of—I don't know. I'm sure you're familiar with the rescue basket. There's really yeah. no way to fall out of it. You know, like no. You gotta be, you gotta be intentional to like fall off that thing. But yeah, yeah. Was, uh, he was clipped into it, and he was just like holding <laughs> on. Do you guys carry the rigid one or the collapsible? The collapsible one.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love that collapsible basket. It's it's great
2: design. Good job, LSC. Yeah, my and uh, uh, the flotation, what made it challenging too, the flotation on it, like the rotor wash was actually pushing it away from the clip. Right,
0: because the, the <laughs> rotor wash hits that side of the rock, it pushes everything out. That is a big
2: pain in the neck. Yeah, that, that was like the biggest challenge for that basket pick. We had it, a rotor wash pushing it. Strong yeah. downflow so at that point
1: coming off the face of that mountain too. So. so
2: you've got the
0: downdraft plus you've got the rotor wash pushing the basket away from the ro- Oh my
2: gosh. Good. I got, I got sew in here and said, like, hey, we got about 10 seconds left before we got to depart. <laughs> and I think our fuel on that one. I think, yeah, we picked up this first survivor. We came down, dropped them off, came back to the second one. I think our fuel got pretty low. I think 600.
1: But the last one, um, we departed just under our bingo. And then just for the sake of uh, covering ourselves, we landed just at or above our NATOX min. So.
0: Of course, at, at min is what you landed at. According to all the records, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, you guys, yeah. that is that is awesome.
1: Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, it was it was a challenge. They they did an outstanding job in the back, and then uh, for us, we just with the altitude and everything. Uh, I think we were holding the hoagie. St. Jean was holding the hover at almost thirteen thousand VA. So we were we were just below. I think fifty two feet below our. Our Natops max ceiling, and we're managing to hold a hoagie. So, testament to Sikorsky and uh, their aircraft that uh, it, can, it can do that stuff. So, pretty pretty strong bird
0: Man, props you guys, all you guys. That is a oh, that is an amazing job. That is sick, and that on night vision goggles too. Just, I didn't expect that one. I, I didn't even read that in the write up. That's terrible. Gosh. All right. So I've hoisted on goggles, but I usually when I get on scene, it's goggles come up because I've got my spotlight on,
2: you know, I like a for me, it's like 50 50. I'll use the goggles to get in there. We get tucked in. Once we're tucked in, I'll I'll flip them up and down.
0: So and and for people that have never used night vision goggles, your depth perception is a little bit off, especially when you're hoisting, because, you know, a lot of times we'll be looking at shadows or, or, you know, you have that good depth perception when you kick on goggles, it, it goes away with it. And I don't know about you, but I I've, I've, might have pile piledrived one or two of my friends into the ground by accident. I just, it happens. I, I said, sorry to every one of them, I promise. But it, you look at Q, Q's smiling over. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm not having that happen. <laughs> Thanks, Milo.
2: <laughs> just kidding. Wow. These guys, you repel with goggles too, but during the repel, we have uh for the shore hauls, we'll have the goggles flipped down. That way you're able to clear the terrain
0: what man i need to come hang out with you guys a lot more holy cow i didn't realize you say you repel with goggles as well that's awesome
2: yeah. we, we haven't flipped up obviously you're not going to have them down because of the depth perception but yeah, yeah you have them, you have them ready to go uh we use them mostly for the show halls when the repeller when they get picked off the ground they'll flip them down they'll start scanning the the terrain because it's pretty you know if you're like a 200 foot repel at night in the trees uh from up top you can't really tell when they're actually clear you know you could yeah. You could be really safe about it and just shoot way out into out of space and then come forward. Yeah. But these guys, uh, we'll pick them up on the shore haul. As soon as they clear the terrain or the trees, they'll give us a clear before flight and we'll start coming forward.
0: Man. Dude, wow. incredible, you guys. Well done. Well done. Dude, thank you for sharing the story. Oh my gosh. This is awesome. Uh I'll tell you, I'll segue into any other advice you want to give from a little like debrief information that you would pass on, things you might have done a little bit different. I know it's very vague, but I kind of like it that way so that, you know, because whatever comes to mind, you guys got anything that you would pass on to anybody else if they had the same scenario?
1: I honestly think all the conditions just uh, work in our favor. The having the airfield right there let us get super light on gas, but it was just having to kind of consider all of those factors, what was going to happen when the sun went down, what was what was going to happen when we got another patient on board and we were added that 200 pounds. So it was a big game of uh, trading trading pounds here and there, leaving stuff, what was the minimum equipment we could go with and uh, as Milo said earlier, just doing more with less. We, we made it work with what we had um, and what we could take uh, and then these guys just end up in the fact that we were kind of working right on the, the fringes of what the aircraft wanted to do. Uh, and he was still ready and willing to step back out the door even after he'd been pulled in 13 times. So uh, he was sticking with it. We're up front. So for us, it's, I can't imagine not being on sticks. It's like driving with your friend and they're a, a bad driver and, and you grabbing the, the handle by your door. So
2: I get, got to imagine that's kind of how they feel.
0: That's awesome. What about you, Milo? Anything that you would pass on?
2: Yeah, I I think the biggest one is just not rushing into things, you know, especially like rescue, get the adrenaline rush, you want to go there, you want to get up. Um, It wouldn't have been possible for this one if we didn't have the airport right there about three, four miles away. Yeah. Yeah, if it wasn't for the airport being that close, we wouldn't have been able to do it, but... I think with uh, most of like rescue swimmers and in our community, our mindset is always never quit. So, and sometimes you got to know when to quit. Um, I've been on a lot of rescues. I think we are on the, what last Monday?
1: Yeah, last week we did one where we
2: just, we couldn't do it.
1: Couldn't make it happen.
2: We got called to the, a similar, pretty close, uh, pretty nearby. Um, we had some climbers stuck at eleven thousand four hundred, I think.
1: Yeah, so a little a
2: little higher.
1: Uh, it was the middle of the night I think we flew from like 11 that night until 7 in the morning so
2: yeah.
1: Uh, luckily they were able to self-rescue they were uninjured so ultimately that's what led to our decision that we're putting ourselves and the crew in, uh, and them just at too high a risk to, to try yeah. to push This happen yep. when they can uh, work it with the ground crew. Yeah and that was a
2: lot more gnarly and uh, as a crew we all talked to each other and i like man this is just not worth it we yeah. tried getting in there it was like a bigger tighter chute but you had to come over the chute and then descend like 150 feet into it and i was like and put
1: the tail into yeah into a chute which was
2: uncomfortable really it was just like we talked about it i was like okay these guys are stuck they're not injured they're not going anywhere we could have a ground crew come in pick them up it's yeah. just how, you just gotta know when to say you know you gotta know when to talk with and, and it's hard because our personality
0: yeah we, great we, advice yeah. though great advice like sometimes they You know, like putting putting our lives into, you know, that that extra extreme. You know, the old Coast Guard model is uh, you had to go out; you didn't have to come home. Yeah, no, that that changed. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. you don't have to go out, but you do have to come home. So, yeah, smart.
2: Our model still so others may live.
0: Yes, that's true. Like I I I spread that quite often. So others may live. Come on. What about you, Kim? Anything,
3: to, Any advice you would pass anybody else? Uh, I just want to give a shout out to the search and rescue uh, community and also the uh, medtech community uh, doing great things out here. Uh, our leadership is just, I can't find a better leadership. Pushing forward with the paramedic program. Getting nice. Us up, getting us meds, getting us everything we need. Um, for future T's. just, I mean, you can't train to stuff like this. You can't train to... 13,000 feet DA type stuff, but always keep it in the back of your head. You could be faced with, you know, uh, a situation that I call you to go above and beyond what you train for. So be ready when the time comes and go for it. Man,
0: oh, I love it, you guys. Dude, I I cannot thank you guys enough for, for getting together and making this happen with me and sharing this story. Bomb, good job, you guys. Freaking fantastic. Josh, Milo, Q, Guys are amazing. Way to represent the Navy. Woo! Thank you. You're welcome. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute and like my daughters like to tell me, like and subscribe. Oh, yeah. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, If anyone out there has a rescue story that they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you as a guest. Or if you have any questions about any of the rescues or anything else that we talk about here on this podcast, send me an email, therealrescue at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q at gmail.com. You can also check us out on our Facebook and Instagram page the real rescue that's at t-h-e-r-e-a-l-r-e-s-q I also want to give a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today always remember that when that SAR alarm goes off those in distress are praying for a miracle they are going to get you until next time fly safe and swim hard